Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As the state works to speed up delivery of the coronavirus vaccine, Governor Gavin Newsom says California will shift its priorities for who's at the top of the list to get shots first. KQED's Molly Peterson reports. Some essential workers, including farm workers, teachers, and people in healthcare, are eligible for the vaccine now. So are people over 65. But three quarters of the state's deaths from COVID 19 have occurred among older Californians, and that's who the state plans to prioritize for vaccination. You'll hear a lot more about the details of a strategy to transition to an age based eligibility, which will allow us to scale up much more quickly and get vaccines to impacted communities much more expeditiously. State officials say given the limits on available doses, just vaccinating Californians over 65 could take until June. While details of the state's strategy aren't yet out, union advocates are critical. The Service Employees International Union says about 150,000 of the workers it represents have been deemed essential to stay on the job during the pandemic, but they may be vaccinated later if the state prioritizes age over job category. For the California Report, I'm Molly Peterson in Los Angeles. With coronavirus conditions ever so slightly improving in California, Governor Newsom yesterday lifted regional stay-at-home orders in favor of county-by-county restrictions. The changes will allow restaurants and churches to resume outdoor operations and hair and nail salons to reopen in many places, though local officials could choose to impose stricter rules. So what does this move look like from the perspective of an infection disease expert? I reached out to UCLA epidemiologist epidemiologist Anne Ramoyne to get her take. The bottom line is, is that, that just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. And nobody should take this piece of news as carte blanche to return to life as normal. It is not safer uh, than to, to do things now than it was previously. And we do have a very high level of transmission. And we've just gotten out of a very, very dire period. So it's not the time to to be relaxing our guard. Economic factors, of course, played a role in this decision to lift the stay-at-home order. Restaurants and a lot of other small businesses across California are really hurting. But if you could take out those economic considerations and just make this decision purely based on public health to reopen, would, would we be doing this right now? I would guess that we probably wouldn't if, if we didn't have to balance the economy with public health prevention and control methods. Um, I'm, I'm sure that we would not be opening up as quickly as we are right now. Um, but nothing happens in a vacuum. 
That was UCLA epidemiologist Ann Ramoyne. Following Governor Newsom's decision to lift the stay-at-home order, Los Angeles County, the epicenter of the pandemic, also decided to reopen restaurants for outdoor dining and hair and nail salons for indoor business. That should give a boost to LA's economy, which is slowly starting to recover from the pandemic. But there's still a very long way to go. With more, here's KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb. There is no sector of LA's economy that has seen slower growth since the pandemic began than the accommodation industry. These are workers at hotels and other short-term lodging options. They haven't seen their jobs come back yet. If you ask some economic forecasters here in LA, that's going to continue well into this year. This industry has been (laughs) one that I don't think you can say has recovered at all. Shannon Sedgwick is with the LA County Economic Development Corporation, which puts out data about the local economy. With the tourism industry falling flat, this particular industry has been impacted severely. You know, the job gains are very minimal uh, when you compare to what's been taking place in other industries. All of this plays out in the numbers. The accommodation industry has lost some 22,000 jobs in LA County since the pandemic began. While other industries saw larger gross job loss, they've since recovered. For accommodations, however, only about 4% of LA jobs have actually come back. Other sectors of the hospitality industry continue to struggle as well, from restaurants and events, and even transportation. Though news that counties all across California could be easing some COVID restrictions this week, including on restaurants, could buoy hiring. For the California Reports, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Los Angeles. California renters who face the prospect of mass evictions at the end of this month because of the pandemic might not have to worry, at least in the short term, that after the state's top lawmakers and Governor Newsom reached a tentative agreement to extend an eviction moratorium through June. With more, here's KQED's Molly Solomon. The deal aims to help tenants who have fallen behind on rent and small landlords who are struggling to make payments. Just like the current protections, renters would need to continue paying 25% of their rent to avoid eviction. They would also have to declare that they've lost income or their job because of the pandemic. San Francisco Assemblymember David Chu says lawmakers are under a tight deadline to pass the bill and get it to the governor. California renters are facing a dark eviction cliff if we do not act by the end of this month. Rent relief is also part of the plan. Thanks to $2.6 billion in federal funding, landlords could receive 80% of the back rent owed by low-income renters, but only if they agree to forgive the rest and not pursue eviction. Chu praised the extension of the moratorium, but he was concerned that some tenants will be left out if their landlords don't agree to participate. If the power balance between tenants and landlords is real and it's troubling and it shouldn't be up to the landlord to decide the level of debt a tenant has. But that funding could be a lifeline for small landlords like Jenny Zhao. She owns three properties in San Jose and one of her tenants already owes more than $5,000 in back rent. And she thinks applying for rent relief might help both of them. I might, for my personal Um, situation, I might do that just to give uh, my tenant a break. She and Chu both hope that the process is easy enough for people to navigate. If the deal passes, the governor's office expects to have an online portal to distribute rent subsidies up and running by mid-March. For the California Report, I'm Molly Solomon. 
Meanwhile, the state's Employment Development Department, or EDD, has paid out at least $11 billion worth of fraudulent unemployment benefits since the beginning of the pandemic. And the state's Secretary of Labor, Julie Su, says that number is expected to only rise as investigations continue. There is no sugarcoating the reality. California did not have sufficient security measures in place to prevent this level of fraud, and criminals took advantage of the situation. Officials also acknowledge legitimate applications for unemployment are getting snared in the state's fraud prevention efforts. At the end of last year, EDD froze nearly a million and a half unemployment claims in its latest effort to fight fraud. EDD cannot confirm how many of these claims are fraudulent, but did say over a million people's accounts are still frozen. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. In Fresno County, officials say they want to prioritize farm workers for vaccination, but the county is facing a challenge, the supply of available vaccines. KQD Central Valley reporter Alex Hall has more. Fresno County's Food and Ag Vaccination Initiative launched Monday in Mendota, about a 40-minute drive west of Fresno. 50 workers inside a packing shed lined up socially distanced and one by one sat down to get their shot. This was just the first group of the roughly 3,000 workers Fresno County plans to vaccinate in the coming days. County Supervisor Brian Pacheco says Fresno has the ability to vaccinate all of the county's 70,000 ag workers quickly. But there's a problem. We have a distribution system ready to vaccinate 30,000 people a week, and we can ramp that up to 50,000 a week, but we simply do not have enough vaccine. Interim Health Officer Dr. Race Vora says the county's ability to deliver vaccinations is far, far outpacing the state's ability to send them. In the meantime, Fresno is continuing to improve its delivery system. 
we're trying to work as hard as on our end as we can and really work out all of the processes that we need to so that the minute that those vaccines come into our county, we can get them delivered out to all of the different essential workers where they need to go. The Fresno County Board of Supervisors plans to discuss the issue at their meeting today. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Nine school districts in California are starting rapid COVID-19 testing of their students and staff. It's a pilot program that could allow more schools in the state to reopen safely. KQD's Julia McAvoy reports. The La Honda Pescadero School District in San Mateo County serves many children of rural farm workers. Superintendent Amy Woolover has had her K-5 through graders back in school since early November. She says rapid testing could help not just her district, but the whole community. Many of them live in shared housing, so the risk is higher if there is an incidence of COVID that it would get into the home. So we just feel an awesome responsibility to be as safe as we can to a vulnerable population, particularly our essential worker families. The district is doing outreach in Spanish to get parents to give permission for the self-administered nasal swabs. The Public Health Institute is helping coordinate the effort. It says the tests could help teachers feel more confident returning to schools. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy. There are a lot of people out there struggling to pay their rent, mortgage, and other bills because of the pandemic. That also includes their utility bills. KQED's Nina Sparling has more. 1.6 million California households are behind on their water bills, according to a recent survey from the State Water Resources Control Board. A statewide water shutoff moratorium has kept the tap on since March, even if people haven't been able to pay their bills. But that's taking a financial toll, and the debt is adding up. The way uh, it makes me feel as we go through the data is don't panic, but be very worried. That's Darren Polhimas, the director of the Division of Drinking Water at the agency, which surveyed over 500 water systems about their financial status. The survey found that Black and Latino households hold far more debt than white or Asian households, and that 130 water systems won't be able to keep the lights on in six months without relief. Jonathan Nelson is the policy director at the Community Water Center, an advocacy group based in the Central Valley. You know, the very same communities that have already been hit hardest by this pandemic will also face the worst of this water shutoff crisis. And so for us, this is really a basic matter of environmental justice and racial justice. Nelson warns that this growing debt issue has added another crisis onto an already stressed drinking water system. The pandemic has really just exacerbated this divide between those that have safe and affordable drinking water and those that are really struggling to have it or may not have it at all. Legislators introduced two bills at the state level to address the debt, and Congress passed limited aid for water systems at the end of December. But advocates say there's a need for far more federal funding to address the growing debt. For The California Report, I'm Nina Sparling. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, January 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash Adapting Care. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And Personal Capital, 
offering professional-grade financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary. PersonalCapital.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Thanks.